0: Alrighty everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Scott McNear. Hey, everybody. Great to see you again. And we are back for another episode of The Basin Breakdown. Now, this is being released in July, but we will be reviewing all of the news for June of 2023. We let the biggest stories collect, stack up, and then we bring to you what we think is the most impactful or just attractive headlines. But, of course, we start right here where we are recording in Colorado and look at news in the DJ Nibrara Basins where Pedevco has announced an expansion into a Wyoming DJ play. Pedevco Corporation announced the acquisition of 4,000 additional acres in the Wyoming portion of the DJ, increasing the company's leasehold to over 17,000 net acres. They have indicated an intention to target the more prolific Codell primarily and the Niobrera secondarily. The wells are expected to have EURs of over 750,000 barrels of oil equivalent, which they claim is competitive across all major shale basins in the U.S., they are a publicly traded firm under the New York Stock Exchange PED, operating in the northwest shelf of the Permian and in the DJ Basin. So I've never personally heard of this company, but good to them for making big moves. And I'm surprised they're right in our backyard. We haven't heard anything about them at all.
1: Yeah, I agree, Tavis. It's uh it's been a little bit since we've seen a smaller acquisition in the DJ Codell, you know, Colorado basins. Um, so this one, I, I am not familiar with them either, uh, as a, as a company, but, uh, it's, it's good to see that it's not just Oxy and Chevron and, hmm. uh, um, Civitas, uh, gobbling everything up and that maybe some, uh, the smaller independent guys will be able to, to, to get some, uh, get some good acreage, maybe try out some new, new tactics and, and make some more oil in the, in the state. Exactly. Let's go to our next article where Fundair Resources provides a company update. Fundera Resources Company, LLC, the holder of Fundair Redtail, Moonrise Midstream, and Rangeview Resources, gave an update on their assets recently. The firm operates 63,000 net acres in the DJ, much of which was acquired from Whiting prior to their merger with Oasis. In applying updated completion designs to Niobrara A and Niobrara B wells in the upcoming months, the firm plans to add several thousand barrels per day of low-cost production to their DJ asset. Moonrise Midstream does much of the gathering for Fundair Redtail, which serves to bolster returns. And I mean, it, I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, they're trying to develop that, uh, that area. I know that uh, Whiting had a hard time uh, making that successful. And I know Fundair has been doing a lot better at that since they took over. And, you know, when you've got the midstream infrastructure in place where you don't have to pay as much in the takeaway, that really helps with your returns.
0: Do you have any idea how they're recompleting these is it just moving from secondary to tertiary forms of lift in eOR or other things
1: i I don't know tavis I would imagine that it's some new completion techniques on the actual new wells um, rather than changing the you know flooding or anything like that but i I could be wrong I imagine it's just they they're trying some different some different types of completion for that rock in that area and hopefully it pans out for them
0: that closes things out for Colorado. When we move it just a bit south to Oklahoma in the Scoop Sack Basins, starting out with, of course, Devon. Devon has become a leader in Midcon Super Pads, which are pads that contain wells with more than 3,100 pounds per foot of proppant. By contrast, most wells in the Permian Basin contain 2 to 2,500, and According to a recent release from Devon, this will actually help them reduce breakeven prices by $5 a barrel by drastically increasing the per-well EUR. The completion design has been implemented in about 60 of their mid-con wells so far, representing over 90% of Devon's wells in the area. Certain case studies like the Hornet development in Blaine County, Oklahoma, delivered over 4,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day in the first 30 days of production. Hey, that that's pretty cool, but that is a lot of propant. I remember we were going through sand shortages in 2020, though. I don't know what's changed since then.
1: Yeah, I mean that. I agree. That is a lot of propant. I'd wonder if uh, wonder what the quality is. You know, what type of propants they're using. If if that's how they're saving some money by uh, getting getting something a little cheaper, maybe. I don't know. The other thing um, that kind of catches my eye in this article, Tavis, is. Uh, you know the statistic on on how much it's delivered in the first 30 days realistically that's that's a great number but uh you know it's always nice to see 60 90 120 to really see what the what the wells looking like it's going to do uh, compared to what you projected when you're writing your
0: AFE. yeah because that's just the nature of these types of wells right you're going to get a great IP that's going to look like it justifies everything i mean that's what got us into the problem in 2014 no
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, IP, 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 and not really worrying about uh, uh, if that follows your EUR. So it'll be interesting to see in the next six months, nine months, how uh, how they come out and say that these are doing compared to their their EUR trends that they predicted. So for our next article here in the Scoop Stack, Tavis, it looks like oil stocks at Cushing Hub have hit a two year peak, which I know that's not saying a whole lot because they've been <laughs> pretty low. <laughs> Uh, Private oil stocks at the important pipeline juncture in Cushing, Oklahoma, have reached their highest level in two years. Increased production from Canada and temporary shutdowns at Midwestern refineries in the region have pushed these inventories higher. Analysts indicate that growing overseas demand for American oil and the end of the refinery shutdowns should reduce the stockpiles in coming months. In mid-June, Midwestern oil stocks had risen to 42.1 million barrels. Nearly 580,000 barrels per day of refining capacity in the region has been offline in the past two months, driving the stockpile increase. And, I mean, that makes sense, uh, you know, that with all that down refining capacity that you're going to see a a backlog in your storage areas in general. Mm -hmm. I do know, you know, a two-year peak, let's see, that would put us at, what, 2021 is when... uh, when they're they're starting their, their clock on that. So I guess the question there is were we were we high in twenty twenty one at Cushing or were we drawing it down to, to refine things during COVID? I don't remember I
0: think by then we had drawn things down just a little bit. It took us, you know, probably about three quarters to get there, which puts us right at the start of twenty twenty. So it was probably still high being drawn down, but I mean this is, like you said, been a problem since way back when. I don't know how we are, you know, three years out from Uh, march 2020 and we're still fighting to find that balance but hopefully we find it soon because it seems like every half a year or so something pops up to where supply is not meeting demand capacity is down in refining so i hope it works out because this just produces domestic shock price changes and i think produces more headaches than anything else but hey could be worse could be low
1: (laughs) yeah read there
0: and for our final story in the scoop stack, wife of Justice Alito leased a plot of land in Oklahoma. The wife of the Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, Martha and Ann Baumgardner, Baumgardner Alito leased a plot of land in Oklahoma for a 316th royalty to Citizen Energy 3 while the justice was working on defanging the EPA. It appears to not be a conflict of interest because Citizen Energy 3 is not involved in any legal action at present. The Supreme Court recently announced a decision to involve the EPA's ability to regulate wetlands, interfering with the agency's ability to enforce the Clean Water Act. In another case, Alito voted to restrict the EPA's ability to regulate emissions from power plants. And surprisingly, this was from Business Insider, which is a little strange because it appears not to be a conflict of interest because Energy Citizen Energy 3 is not involved in any legal action at present. I mean, that's kind of... I, I don't know. There, there's not a lot of weight behind this story for someone having royalty in oil and gas.
1: Yeah, and I guess, you know, we don't know the background on um, the plot of land that uh, she leased. Did she buy it and then lease it immediately? Was it in the family? There's a lot of information we don't know, and I'm sure, you know, I would hope anyway that the, uh, the Supreme Court Justice Alito would not put himself in a position where he would have a conflict of interest with his wife with that, but, you know, that's... Just the way that politics can go sometimes with, with stock trading and, and this type of stuff. So, hopefully, it's not a conflict of interest. And if she rightfully has the rights to that acreage, she should be allowed to, to claim a royalty on it. Mm-hmm. That pretty much wraps up the scoop stack, Tavis. So, let's head on west to California, where the nation's first price gouging law has gone into effect. June 26th was the first day that California's new, quote, anti-price gouging, end quote, laws went into effect. A recent poll indicated that 89% of Americans support efforts to crack down on gas price gouging. The new law establishes the Division of Petroleum Market Oversight to monitor the industry. It will require daily reports on the gasoline market and imports from the oil and gas companies that supply California, and it will increase the accountability of energy companies by requiring monthly reports on refiner's profit margins. The article credits Governor Newsom's recent actions in the $1.50 reduction in year-over-year average California gas price. I don't know what you think, Tavis. You've been out in California more than me, but it uh, seems like a lot more paperwork and red tape. And that's you know, It's only it going to affect the, the big refiners out there.
0: And they've been doing this for three years now, and they always go, oh, well, we'll take it, we'll double check this committee, and then we'll have someone triple check that committee, and we don't trust their numbers, so now they're effectively quadruple checking, and I I don't know, it's just the dynamics of, you know, supply and demand, importing gasoline from other countries instead of taking it from West Texas, not having enough supported domestically, there's so many factors that go into this, and If anything, the data that they show in the article for this shows that the price is actually leveled out. Of course, they credit Newsom, but I I don't know. They cherry-pick a lot of stuff, and saying things like, a recent poll indicated 89% of Americans support efforts to crack down on gas price gouging. That doesn't mean anything. I think a recent poll also showed that 99% of Americans were okay with not curb-stomping babies, the 1% being the people who are flying frequently, but it's just silly, silly statistics, and... Ah... We're going to see this story again. (laughs) But next article, the Center for Biological Diversity. They are not too pleased. A recent letter from them is calling for an immediate moratorium on new drilling permits within 3,200 feet of sensitive sites like homes and schools. There is pending legislation already considering this sort of regulation, but the lobbyist group is calling for executive action from Governor Newsom to immediately enact this regulation. The article points to an quote, oil industry-backed, end quote, referendum that is stalling the implementation of the regulations they are pushing for. The article quotes Dr. Tripati is saying, quote, neighborhood oil drilling is poisoning communities of color first and worst, And quote. I believe the uh, oil industry-backed referendum they're talking about was the stuff that uh, SIPA put together, no?
1: Probably. I, I don't know off the top of my head, Tavis, but I mean, this is, it's just uh, going back to the, to the setback rule that they... That, are already working on that they're already working on but they want it now they want to be impatient on it they don't want it to get voted on i think and um you know so if Gav- they just want to bully newsom i guess and his cabinet to uh to to enact this so that they can stop oil and gas drilling i guess and, and blaming the oil industry for saying that they don't want it
0: hey who knows it might even temporarily be enacted given what type of election cycles we're seeing coming up but We'll keep you posted on any new developments in that.
1: All right. Our last article in California is an editorial. Cleaning up California's oil field may cost $21.5 billion. Taxpayers shouldn't get the bill. An editorial from the Los Angeles Times quoted a report that estimates $3.65 billion will be extracted from California's remaining oil fields in the next two years, and that this is 58% of the remaining proceeds yet to be generated from California's oil patch. The article admits that more PA permits are now being issued than new drill permits, which means that the oil patch is gradually being cleaned up in California, but warns that there will be a huge PA liability left on the state's hands. Another report indicated that four hundred million was spent last year by the oil industry to plug sixty five hundred idle wells, meaning the average PA cost was about sixty two thousand dollars per well. Um, again, I mean for being a opinion piece, I think we kind of tried to state of the facts on it, mm. but uh, that's that's seems reasonable to me that as you're, you're dropping your new drills and you're trying to phase out oil and gas as a state that you're going to have a higher P&A liability.
0: Yeah, but I, I got to say $62,000 per well does not seem nearly as expensive as I would have predicted. So I guess we'll see how that number develops the further we get into this. And I'm sure a lot of companies are just targeting their easiest things first. So I'd even expect that number to go up.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me too, Travis.
0: Next up, the Marcellus. A
1: Pennsylvania community
0: wins a reprieve on toxic wastewater from hydraulic fracturing. The Yanity Well, a now regionally notorious well near Grant Township east of Pittsburgh, was slated to be converted from a natural gas-producing well into a wastewater injection well. Residents were concerned about the prospect of reinjected wastewater contaminating drinking water, Litigators then point into a potential geologic fault that might provide hydraulic communication between the injection bench to the water table. As such, the company is elected not to convert the well into an injection site, and honestly, these are the types of stories I love to see. It's not just baseless, oh, we're worried, it's, hey, there's this fault here, it might actually communicate from aquifer to reservoir. That's good stuff, and should be treated with respect
1: yeah, and I mean, I think it's a pretty good example of people doing the due diligence to look into the geology and the uh, the barriers in your reservoir that can p- be there or not be there before you change from a from a gas well or an oil well into a, a wastewater injection well. And once you look at that and realize that uh, there may be potential for um, you know contaminating fresh water, then you have to uh, as a diligent operator. Uh, choose a different site or find another wellbore. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. that's like good on, good on uh, the township and good on the the operator for changing their plans. The next article in the Marcellus is the effort to plug Pennsylvania's orphaned oil wells. Pennsylvania will be receiving four hundred million in federal funds in order to plug the state's quarter million idle oil and gas wells. Pennsylvania is saddled with the unique challenge of having the world's oldest oil wells as the first commercial oil produced in Oil Creek, Pennsylvania in 1859. Many are not marked or recorded with the state, making the locating and abandoning of the wells particularly difficult. As urban sprawl has progressed, many abandoned wellbores are now underneath parking lots, buildings, and other structures, complicating the PA procedure. And I will say, Tavis, I, I've had to try to track down a... Uh, an oil well that was not properly located on the, uh, the Texas railroad commission <laughs> website. And when you're out there in a field with a, a metal detector, essentially trying <laughs> to find a, the top of a, a cutoff uh, wellhead, it can be a pain. And especially when you start getting into residential stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. becomes a whole nother issue with safety and, environmental things with uh, buildings nearby
0: absolutely like you said with the residential things 20 feet could be the difference of in a parking lot versus under a building so you really have to trust the regulators there but even outside of urban areas there is so much in the wild fortunately a lot of it is super shallow stuff because these were drilled you know at the end of the 19th century but the quarter million idle oil and gas well is a rough estimate because given the age of pennsylvania's Conventional energy industry, there really is no telling just how many wells have been walked away from, wellheads exposed or not, so it's going to be a unique case for abandonment there, but I'm pretty confident they'll be able to make do. But that wraps up everything we've got for the Marcellus and leads us over to our friends just north in Wyoming in the Powder River Basin, where public revenue in oil and gas producing regions is dependent on fiscal and climate problems. Resource for the Future, a group that is working on modeling the impact of climate policy, has made several predictions about the future of the oil and gas industry and several of the basins in the U.S. that are comprised largely of public lands like the Powder River Basin. The study indicates that many basins will likely lose revenue as climate policies become more strict, including the Green River Basin in Wyoming. However, many basins like the Powder River Basin will benefit from increased fossil fuel consumption more than they will likely suffer from climate policies. So resources for the future, you wouldn't initially expect them to be conducting a report like this, but I, I like that this is the other side. How is climate policy going to affect a resource extraction and its economics?
1: Yeah, and I mean I think this this article makes a lot of sense because as you you know grow, let's say Wyoming does grow in, in population as people move there or, or whatever happens in the coming years, um, you're going to consume more oil and gas type of fossil fuels, um, especially in more remote areas where you can't necessarily get as much infrastructure out there. But at the same time, since so much of it is federally regulated, it is going to be hit a lot harder than some of the other basins as far as the policy goes. Let's move on to a little M&A news in the Powder River, where PE firm acquires Powder River Basin E&P Northwoods Energy. PE firm One Rock Energy is adding 160,000 net acres to its portfolio by acquiring Northwoods Energy. The land will transact for an undisclosed sum, but the production on the land is about 5,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. One Rock Energy acquired 112,000 acres from SM Energy in 2018 in a similar deal and has expressed interest in growing its acreage position. The acreage acquired from Northwood's energy is largely contiguous with one large block directly West of the Thunder Basin national grassland and the other Southwest of Gillette. So, I mean, I don't know what there is to say about this other than, uh, looks like one rock is making (laughs) some moves in the basin and, uh, I hope that they, uh, can develop the acreage and, and, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Hey, I
0: mean, that's a lot of acreage. 160,000 net acres is probably going to keep them busy for a little bit. For the last article for the Powder River Basin, coal, oil, and gas rebound pushed the Campbell County assessed valuation to $5.7 billion. Campbell County is the largest energy-producing county in Wyoming. Recent assessments of the energy assets in the state have increased the calculated total of the county's energy assets by $2.3 billion in the last two years, driven largely on the back of higher coal prices. Recently, inflated gas prices in Q4 of 22 and Q3 of 23, and elevated oil prices at the beginning of last year. A very small amount of uranium production also contributed $6,872 to the bottom line of those assets as well. And that's Pretty much nothing compared to the 11 million that they achieved way back when but it's good to see that conventional energy hydrocarbons are doing well but that is to be expected given those like they said the prices
1: yeah really the price swings seem to have had a major impact on that number obviously in the last you know end of 22 beginning of 23 um but yeah i guess we'll see as as prices continue to to either rise in Going forward, which it has in the last week or so, we can see if, if the coming quarter that this continues to grow or if it's gonna kind of stagnate and fall off. Time will tell.
0: Well, I think that closes it out. Where are we headed next, Scott?
1: Let's go on over to the Permian where we've got uh, some regulatory news in New Mexico. New Mexico regulators fine oil producer forty million dollars for burning off vast amounts of natural gas. New Mexico regulators announced on June 29th a $40.3 million fine to Texas-based operator Ameridev, stating they flouted local pollution and flaring regulations. The New Mexico Environment Department issued a fine for excessive flaring and emissions performed in 2019 and 2020 at five facilities in Lee County, New Mexico, and have ordered a cease in all excess emissions until the company's permits are verified and audited. The agency alleged that Emeredev did not have proper gas takeaway via pipeline in place for the gas as required by state law and burned excess gas above the permitted limits or without authorization. Cindy Hollenberg, Compliance Enforcement Section Chief at the Air Quality Bureau of the New Mexico Environment Department, stated, quote, they simply were not following what they had represented in their permits. They represented that they would capture 100% of their gas, send it to the sales p- pipeline." End quote. The sanctions can be disputed and appealed in court, but the Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources Department has stated they are pursuing a maximum penalty for the infraction. And this is uh, just the start of this, I think, Tavis. I know that uh, New Mexico is really cracking down on flaring in their state. And, you know, if, if you're not um, reporting accurately or at all, or you're going over your permits, they, uh, they're they sending people out to, to track that, and then they've been sending out a lot of fines to a lot of different operators.
0: Yeah, like it, the article said, this started back in 2019, and even one of the quotes in there from one of the representatives of the environmental department said, they said they were capturing everything, but every site we went to showed that they were flaring without permits. So this is probably just scratching the surface that they're blatantly doing that. There's got to be more, but hey. I hope the best for them, but this is going to be a tough one to beat. Next, oil and gas growth slows in the Permian Basin as the region leads the U.S. in fossil fuels. The Permian Basin produced 5.672 million barrels per day in June and is expecting 5.763 million barrels per day in July. The Bakken produced 1.2 million barrels per day in June, and the Ford produced 1.1 million barrels per day, so you can see the Permian is far ahead. American oil production increased by... last year, with the Permian accounting for such a large share of that growth that it now accounts for nearly 50% of American oil production by itself. The Permian produced 22.9 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day in July, second only to the Appalachian region at 35.4 billion cubic feet per day. However, The rate of growth in the Permian was an additional 60 million standard cubic feet in June, whereas Appalachia added only 25 million standard cubic feet. So, as you can see, lots of premier acreage there, big hotspot for production, and uh, it's just just the mecca of oil and gas in these states.
1: Yeah, the fact that it's nearly 50% of all oil currently being produced in the, the U.S. is pretty crazy. I mean... Staggering. Obviously, um... As oil prices improve, assuming oil prices improve, some of those other basins become more economic, and there'll be more activity shift away, possibly. But it's still a a behemoth of oil and gas available in the Permian that that operators are taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. Our last uh, article here in the Permian Basin is that Chevron is looking to sell some Permian oil and gas properties. Chevron is looking to sell about $100 million worth of Permian assets in West Texas in order to high-grade its Permian asset portfolio. Chevron holds 2.2 million acres in West Texas and has long been one of the largest leaseholders in the basin. Two parcels, together about 32,000 acres, have been put up for auction. These parcels presently produce 1,818 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Reserves on the parcel are estimated to be 770,000 net barrels of oil equivalent. Chevron, whose acreage in Reeves and Colbushton counties, still has checkerboard leasehold dating back to the railroad days, and is busily engaged in buying, selling, and swapping their smaller tracts of land in the basin in order to block up enough contiguous sections to drill two- and three-mile laterals. And this is just kind of how Chevron works, or really any major, super major like this, Davis. I mean... You're going you're gonna to sell the stuff that you're not going to have you know, the bandwidth or the capital to develop in the next X number of years and use that money to, to bolt on or fill in your checkerboard for the stuff that you think is uh, the most profitable.
0: Yeah, if you're going to drill a horizontal, you might as well make it worthwhile. But that's all the good news we've got for the Permian. And next we go to the Eagleford. Oh, with a sad first article, the Eagleford shale, even the oil woes are bigger in Texas. Operators across the Eagleford currently book 6.5 billion barrels of oil, 5.7 billion barrels of natural gas liquids, and 45.9 trillion cubic feet of natural gas as the cumulative reserves for the whole basin. Discussion is had about the water shortage in South Texas exacerbated by the heavy demand from water for well completions the 5.9 billion tons of carbon dioxide that the combustion of the Eagleford's reserves would release, flaring, and various economic inefficiencies in the Eagleford. And that last part, that, that's really the kicker, economic inefficiencies. With neighbors like the Permian, oh, it's really hard to justify a lot of the operation here. So until we see some higher oil prices, I think these operations are probably going to be pr- pretty quiet, pretty chill.
1: I mean, yeah, I agree with that, but even a bigger uh, bigger price variant there is uh going to be your gas price in the eagle Ford. Mm. so mm-hmm. we'll wait and see you know hopefully uh things turn around on the natural gas front and uh these projects that people seem to have uh you know bought up in the last three months worth of basin breakdowns uh kind of pan out for them as uh as they drill the wells that they think that they uh can make a profit on um our the next article is the great Our next Eagleford story talks about the Great Eagleford Reef Rack. Devon Energy and Murphy Oil have begun to recomplete oil wells in South Texas that received smaller, less efficient completions when they were first drilled. Devon has recompleted 30 wells in DeWitt County and has identified, quote, several hundred, end quote, more candidates. This has increased the wells' reserves by over 50%. Clay Gaspar, Devon's COO and former CEO of WPX, explained that they identify understimulated wells in good rock, preferably with 5.5 inch casing. The larger production casing size allows for liner to be run into the well, cemented, recompleted evenly, as opposed to the, quote, pump and pray, end quote, method where no mechanical isolation is used in recompletion. This often leads to an inefficient recompletion and marginal uplift in production. And, I mean, that's not really new technology, Tavis. Um, you, anytime you're going to go recomplete these types of wells, you need to go in, clean them out. Obviously, a liner helps, like it says in the article. Um, and then that way you just have a, a better control over what you're stimulating, and you can hit the zones that you think hadn't gotten stimulated in that first, first go-round when uh, completion technology wasn't as good as it is now.
0: Yeah and it seems like uh Devon has cemented themselves as busy little bees in the second half of this year because this is the second story of recompletion that we have. So hopefully they're timing this right and they get a whole bunch of production online as commodity prices, fingers crossed, knock on wood, swing back up.
1: And I mean, the other thing to take into account that uh, other operators can take from this story is uh look at look at your old wells and see if any type of recomplete opportunities fit fit them old there because um you know there's always stuff that's been left behind because of uh, price of oil people were too busy drilling was more important whatever and you might find a diamond in the rough if you, if you look hard enough
0: hey and if you need some help with that i know a couple of guys last story cavitation technologies incorporated and eagleford silica sand llc have signed a letter of intent to merge Cavitation Technologies is a firm that designs and manufactures innovative flow-through nanotechnology systems for fluid processing applications and announced its intent to purchase Eagleford Silica Sand LLC for $20 million. Eagleford Silica Sand is a profit producer, of course, in the Eagleford that controls 180 acres of land near San Antonio. The firm produces 2,000 metric tons per day and is capable of moving 8,000 metric tons per day. Each well in the area uses eleven thousand to thirteen thousand tons of sand in completion. The firm consumes four thousand five hundred gallons of water per minute to mine and clean the sand. And I, I, I don't have much to say besides, cavitation technologies is a really badass name, and I like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I think I think uh, this is a good uh, opportunity. It seems like for somewhat of a vertical integration type of deal, where mm-hmm. you're you're taking two processes that go from one to the other, the the, the proppant producing, and then you know the, the nanotechnology for for designing that propant to flow through equipment or wherever it's going, and you know merging those companies so that you can uh, make that process more efficient. So hopefully, hopefully it pans out and people can uh, get their propant for a better deal while the company makes a better margin.
0: And that brings us to the last basin of this podcast. Scott, where are we going and what's going on?
1: Let's head up to the Williston Basin where Oventiv has closed a purchase of Midland assets while selling some Bakken assets. Ovintiv has closed its purchase of Black Swan Oil and Gas, Petro Legacy Energy, and Piedra Resources, all of which are cap back firms. This $4.275 billion acquisition adds 65,000 acres to Aventive's portfolio all of which is in the core of the Midland Basin, and most of which is offset to Oventive's existing acreage. Contemporaneously, Oventive closed the sale of its Bakken assets to Grayson Mill Bakken LLC, another NCap firm, for $825 million. And I mean, it, Oventive's been working on this for a while. We've been seeing them sell stuff off and and block onto their stuff in the the Midland Basin. So that's just where they think uh that's where they think their best economics are. And you can't blame them for for making some moves throughout different basins
0: next the eia thinks that the lower 48 oil and gas production growth is supposed to slow in july the eia recently said it expects oil production to slow significantly in the major u.s basins as compared to previous months the permian for example is only slated to bring an incremental one thousand barrels per day in july as compared to june the eia expects production growth to be higher in the bakken interestingly and the forecast is for an incremental 7,000 barrels per day of production to be brought online there. However, this is a lesser increment than the 12,500 additional barrels per day that the Bakken added from May to June. Production in the Eagleford is expected to decrease by 5,000 barrels per day, so hey, looks like the Bakken is the place to be, at least for the next few months, don't know why. Might be barrels of oil equivalent, but good on them for growing. And, uh, yeah, we can see things in Texas have not been going as well as they usually do, especially when you look at the rig count.
1: Yep, I agree with that. And let's, uh, let's move on to our last, last uh, article in the basin and for the, this month's podcast where Cord Energy leads consolidation trend to the Williston Basin. In late May, Cord announced that they will purchase 62,000 mostly undeveloped acres from XTO in North Dakota for $375 million. This will provide 123 two-mile drilling locations and allows for six two-mile DSUs currently to be lengthened to three miles long. Cord achieves about an 80-barrel-per-foot average EUR for its middle Bakken wells, which is slightly above all of its peers with the exception of Continental Resources, coming in at 86 barrels per foot. Its EUR-per-foot metric seems to be increasing over time, but the average lateral length per well has stalled. With this new acquisition, more 15,000-foot wells will be drilled, and this metric is likely to increase. So, I mean, it's it's good that they're able to kind of, you know, block things in, try some new techniques on the completion and drilling, and uh, see how the uh, production on those new wells pans out.
0: Absolutely. We wish them all the best, and we wish you an incredible rest of your day, because that is the end of this episode. Thanks for joining us. Again, that was all the news from June and if you subscribe in one month's time you will have all of the news from july the biggest stories from our favorite major u.s basins and yeah that's a long time away i know so go ahead and subscribe to this podcast as well and you'll have plenty of regular content coming out between now and then weekly segments news periodicals on the websites, or even just news from our favorite sources being pushed at rarepetro.com. So there's plenty to be doing until then. Don't stop growing as a professional. We love having you on this segment. We love doing it. And Scott, you got anything else for the audience?
1: Nope. Have a great summer, everybody. We'll see you next month. Sounds good. This has
0: been Tavis Killian and Scott McNear. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody.